Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, world. Welcome once again to Tuesday Talk with Key West Lou. I am your host, Louis Patron. What a wild day today. This was a combination of politics and law, right on the stage, Broadway, top hit, the best of everything, uh, except for those who lost. I want to talk first about the Manafort jury that came in today, about 4.30. He had been indicted on 18 separate counts, 18 charges. The jury arrived at a verdict on eight of those charges, and uh, the other 10 ended up in a hung jury, and the judge dismissed those cases. There will be no trial, retrial of the 10 cases where there was no verdict, but he's been convicted of eight. Now, let me tell you what I think about this. I think winning only eight of 18 stinks. All right? It's hard in these cases for a defense to do anything when you've got all the money and power of the federal government opposing you. I've tried these cases. It's a hard job, my friends. And I am impressed that they were able to win eight counts. Uh and I think there is a failure on the part of the prosecution here, quite frankly. They they should have won 18 out of 18 or 16 out of 18, not only 8 out of 18. They had the money, they had the power, they had the time, they had everything, and they didn't do it. Now, interestingly, uh, I've got to say this too. Manafort's attorneys did a hell of a job, first-class excellent job, uh, their cross-examination of Rick Gates was defining in this case. Gates is Manafort's uh, associate for years, and he turned state's evidence and testified against his former friend and boss. Uh, he was destroyed. From everything I can see, the defense attorneys on behalf of Manafort totally destroyed Rick Gates, and the proof of the pudding is that the ten conviction, the ten charges where there was no decision, involved those matters in which the primary proof, the heavy proof, was the testimony of Rick Gates. In other words, they did not buy Rick Gates, and that has to be because of the cross examination of Gates by Manafort. So they did a good job. I don't think the federal government did as well as they could have. Uh, what's the end result? Manafort looks bad. Nobody cares about the other 10 charges as I do as I'm evaluating it. They won on eight counts. Uh, he's convicted. He's facing something like, what, nine to 12 years or seven to 10 years in jail. He has a trial coming up in federal court next month. Uh, if I were Manafort, I would think about cooperating with the government and testifying against Donald Trump because He's 69 years old. He's not going to be around. He's not going to have his last years with his children, with his family, with his wife. He's going to be sitting in a cell. Ain't no fun. Uh, he, and he's, he's depending on Trump to pardon him. You don't know because you don't know what the hell Trump's going to do. Uh, so he's got a decision to make probably in the next week to 10 days. He can. They'll still accept his cooperation. The deal he'll get, sentence-wise, they'll reduce his sentence to almost nothing, but he's going to have to do some time because the way the game's played, I've been there, if you 
don't try the case, you'll get a good deal. If you try the case and lose, and now you want to cooperate with the government, you still get a good deal, but not as good as you could have had in the first instance. The system, the judges seem to think if you're going to have wasted their time with one trial, you've got to pay for that. And that means you've got to do some more time than you could have had you cooperated earlier on. So that's just my opinion, my thoughts regarding the Manafort trial. Which now brings me to Michael Cohen. What a day this had to be. This was a good day overall for the prosecution. Don't get me wrong. They won this case against Manafort. uh, And it will work to the detriment of Donald Trump. But it could have been better. That's what the man's saying. Now we get Michael Cohen. He's agreed to cooperate. This is Trump's personal attorney for 10 or 12 years. He knows where the bodies are buried, my friends. (laughs) You know, there was a saying. I, I saw it in my years of practicing law with a couple of people in my hometown. Uh, you, you never fire your bookkeeper because your bookkeeper knows where the bodies are buried. Cohen knows where all the bodies are buried here. Anyhow, he's, he pled guilty to eight counts today, about the same time, about 4.35 o'clock. Uh, the eight counts, the eight charges, two of them involved the payments to those two ladies for sexual relationships that Trump had with them. One was for 150000 the other for 135000 Those are campaign, federal campaign violations. And I've got to say it to you this way. There were two people who participated in this, and we've got the tape for one of them uh, involving Donald Trump and Cohen. Uh, if Cohen is guilty of federal campaign violations, then the man he did it with, the man who participated with him, the person he participated with, Donald Trump, he's equally as guilty. It's easy. Just think it out. This is no way out observation on my part. This is a close in, uh, cold, looking at it coldly and evaluating it. You got Donald Trump there. Now, so Cohen goes for bank fraud, tax fraud, campaign finance violations. Donald Trump was on TV tonight, just briefly, as he was getting on a plane for West Virginia. And he said, nothing about Russia. Look, nothing about Russia. And you want to know something? He's absolutely correct. Not one iota of testimony, neither of these trials connected up with Donald Trump and the Russian situation. They connected maybe uh, the money to the, the ladies he had sex with. But nothing with the Russian investigation. But I'll tell you where it's going to go now and rapidly. Why do you think Mueller pressured Manafort and put him on trial? And he's got another trial coming up on charges totally unrelated to Russia. But he needs Manafort's testimony to get the president. So he's putting the pressure on Manafort big time, no question about it. Same thing here. Cohen capitulating. Uh, Nothing to do with the Russian probe. But Cohen knows. He knows things about that Russian probe that no one else knows, just like Manafort. And the way they got Cohen to testify and plead now, so he will be a cooperative witness, is because they got him nailed to the wall on these massive charges. How many millions of dollars of tax evasion, et cetera, et cetera. So these guys have been placed, unfortunately, but that's the system. I'm not justifying it. I'm not rewarding it. I'm not complimenting it. I'm not beating it up. 
This has been the system for 250 years in this country. You're going after somebody, you use every possible pressure, and it's considered legal and legitimate. They were guilty of A, you get them for A. Now they're going to go to jail, they want to make a deal because you want to get B, and they'll help you. That's what's going to happen here. This was not a good day for Donald Trump. Okay, now we're going to talk about Giuliani. I, You know, I, I've got to say this. Um, Rudy Giuliani is about 10 years younger than me. Uh, he's about, I'm 83, he's about 73, I guess. An outstanding attorney back in, let's say, around 1990, when he was the United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York, one of the most powerful and influential federal districts in the United States. In those days, the mafia was the enemy, the Italian mafia. And Giuliani went after them, tried a lot of the cases himself, got major convictions, and he put a knife in the heart of the mafia in New York City. That's not the same Rudy Giuliani that I see today. Uh, his time has passed. I've said this before on the show. His time has passed. I think he, 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 he's a little bit, in, I'm saying this with all due seriousness, dementia, senility. He, he, you know, he's 73. He's just not there. I don't think he, he lies. when he, he comes up with all these misstatements. He's worse than Donald Trump when he comes to lying when he's talking. But I don't think he does it intentionally. I just think he can't. he's too old now to absorb all the necessary facts and understand them thoroughly before he makes a statement. He, he just got too old. His time has passed him. So that's number one about Giuliani. And I say this very sympathetically. Uh, I feel for the man. Every time he opens his mouth, he's laughing. Ha, ha, ha. Something stupid's going to come out, and it's, it's generally wrong. Anyhow, he said, and meet the press Sunday, Giuliani, uh, he said, truth isn't truth. Now think about that. Truth isn't truth. Uh, you know, th- 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 these people who work for Trump, uh, th- th- you get very fouled up. We got, well, alternative facts coming out of uh, one of his associates in the White House. I mean, that's where a lie can be another story that might be legitimate. Well, he says truth isn't truth. I don't know what the hell that means, but truth isn't truth. I, I, I came across this today in my readings. Uh, let's assume whatever happens, Trump ends up in jail. I'm not saying he's going to, but let's assume that for the moment. Giuliani, okay, will then visit Trump in jail, okay? And he will say... And I quote, don't worry, Donald, prison isn't prison. Don't worry, Donald, prison isn't prison. Giuliani has become Pinocchio. His nose gets bigger every time he opens his mouth. Again, I think the man is just beyond his time. And the fact that Trump relies on him, he's relying on him for public relations. That's that's easily discernible. But the fact that Trump relies upon him has to see this. If he doesn't, then he's not as smart. Donald Trump is not as smart as he thinks he is. We're going to talk about a strike that started today. You're not going to believe this. You know, it's just amazing. Everyone's organized into a group now. Today began a nationwide prison strike. Stay with me. A nationwide prison strike. Prisoners in 17 different states have gone on strike today. 17 different states have gone on strike today. 
And they're going to stay on strike until September 9th. Now, the dates are significant. Today's the starting date, and September uh, 9th is the ending date. Let me tell you what they're looking for, what they're going to do during the strike. They are going to refuse to work because they all have jobs. They make license plates, furniture. They go out and cut the grass on the highways. They're going to refuse to work. They are not going to perform any labor. They are going to engage in sit-ins and hunger strikes. And they're going to demand reforms. They want to be heard because they have rights and they want their voices. What they're looking for is they want their voices heard. Now, 821, August 21. Why is August 21 so important? On this day in 1831, a black man by the name of Nat Turner, he was a slave down south. He was an educated slave, though, a very well-educated slave. And he led an uprising of other slaves against the white people. About 75 white people got killed. Well, they were all captured. They were all killed. Uh... Most of them were lynched, no trial at all. Nat Turner got a trial. They did him honestly. They did him according to the law. They gave him a trial. They convicted him. Then they took him out and hung him. September 9th is the closing date. What's the significance of September 9th? 47 years ago, on September 9th, 47 years ago, the Attica Prison Rebellion occurred. I practiced law in upstate New York. Attica is located in upstate New York. I remember the rebellion. I remember everything about it. Uh, they just rebelled, and uh, they were on a rampage. They're killing guards. They're killing cooperative people. Every, everybody's getting killed. The governor, I think, I, I'm not sure but if I recall correctly, it was Rockefeller, or maybe it was one of his successors, uh, sent the state police in, the state militia. He didn't give a shit. He says, go in. Blow the doors down, shoot everybody. We're not going to take this. I, I'm also somewhat familiar with it because someone I knew uh, was a prisoner in Attica for bank robbery. He was a bank robber, and he'd done it a couple of times, so he had a pretty long stretch of in front of him, several years, five, ten years before him. When the, when the uh, rebellion occurred, instead of participating with the other prisoners, he went around taking care of those that had been shot, knifed, or what, especially especially the prison guards. He was a man who had some medical talent, some medical expertise, and he, took, he saved the lives of many of the guards. He got out about one or two years later, significantly uh, served a significantly shorter sentence than he would have because of that. So the, the rebellion of Attica and Nat Turner's rebellion are the dates that hold this thing together. Now, they have a list of 10 demands, and one demand is they want to be paid for the work they do, a prevailing wage, a prevailing wage. Uh, what does that mean? What do they get paid now? Remember, they do work. Everyone works. They make license plates. They make furniture. Furniture is pretty good. I understand some of it. And during the California fires, which are still ongoing, Prisoners in California have been out there fighting those fires. We didn't know about this. The media doesn't share everything with us. Or they had to know. Nobody told us. 
the, the prisoners are out there helping to, to fight the fires. And they're getting paid. They're fighting the, the worst fires ever in the state of California, and they're getting paid for this. The same wages they were paid when they were making license plates or furniture within the confines of the jail. They're getting $2 a day and $1 an hour. You heard me. What For the work they perform in jail or with the California fires, they get $2 a day and $1 an hour. Well, ain't much money. And they, they feel that they should get more money. And I don't know. You know, people go to jail because they break the rules of society. They break the laws. And they're supposed to be punished. Uh, one thing they get that not everyone gets, including me and you, is they get the very best medical care. Ten years ago, the United States Supreme Court said anyone in jail is entitled to the best medical care. In fact, they said the very best medical care. They get better medical treatment. I've got great plans. I don't get the treatment they get, okay? Nor do you. How many people in this country can't afford medical insurance? It's an issue all the time. They get it for free, they who broke the law. Well, let's have, if they want to get paid, let's have, you know, pay for their own medical insurance. Let's have them pay rent for their cell. Let's have them pay for the food they eat, okay? Uh, let's have them pay for the construction of these jails. Let's have them pay for the benefits they want. Then it's fair. I mean, you, I, again, I was always in the depression. You had to have things a bit difficult when you went to jail. You know, even today, if you're married, you have sex with your wife. I think once a month they come and you have, I forget what the term is they use, but your wife and you are left alone, uh, I think for 24 hours, like a husband and wife in some kind of trailer facility, and you have sex. Not bad, not good, but better than it was. Now, they claim, the prisoners claim, this is slavery. Working for next to nothing is slavery. It's involuntary servitude. I want to tell you, the United States Constitution says this is perfectly okay. It's constitutional to use a person convicted of a crime as a slave or person uh, doing matters of servitude, personal servitude. And I quote to you, the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, the 13th Amendment, uh, the appropriate portion, quote, slavery or involuntary servitude as a punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted. The party shall have been duly convicted. It's legal. It's constitutional. All right. They also want rehab programs, rehabilitation programs, better than what they have so they can be something when they get out of jail. And another major issue, one of the ten, is they want an end, an end to, and I quote, death by incarceration, I'm sorry, incarceration, death by incarceration. Now, what's death by incarceration? Well, they're talking about the people who are sent to jail for life with no opportunity for parole. Jail for jail for life with no opportunity for parole. That's death by incarceration. They, they you should always have the opportunity for parole. They want that worked on. Now I don't know if anything's going to be worked on because of these things. I know they want to be valued as people. Uh, they want to be valued as prospective contributors to society or even present contributors because of the work they do. Uh, 
And that's the story. That's the story. By the way, one last thing on these California fires. They're working as long as 72 hours without sleep or rest. They're no different than the firemen fighting the fires out there. And it has been reported that California, it is estimated, the state of California will save $100 million by the utilization of prisoners' fires. you got to know who your friends are. I'm going to talk about the United States, Russia, Putin, uh, Trump, and China. Okay, here's the story. Trump Trump says, Putin's my friend. (laughs) Putin makes it seem like he's his friend. Russia, Trump makes it look like the United States is Russia's friend. We're not. They're our enemy. They've been our enemy since World War II. Putin makes it look that way, too. Well, if a person is your friend, they do, don't do anything to help you, and they don't help your enemy. Right now, we are in a tariff war of magnitude with China. China's hurting because of this uh, the tariff war, as the United States is. It's going to show up in the next few months. In fact, if this thing goes on, I have been predicting for the last six months that the tariff wars are going to bring us into a recession next year, a worldwide recession, because countries can't keep up with this sort of thing. Uh, it, it just don't work. Also, I, I believe our country is on our stock market's out of control. It's, it, it's on the, we're on the bubble with it. It's overinflated. Uh, Don't forget, Herbert Hoover became president. The market was the highest ever. One year later, we were in in the worldwide recession, depression, the worst ever. Black Friday hit us. Going to happen again, I think. And the thing that's going to be the spark that lights the fire is going to be these tariff wars. Now, how is Russia helping China to our detriment? China eats soybeans. They get soybeans by the tons from all over the world. 60% of the American production, 60% of the soybeans we grow, we ship to China and sell to them. Well, right now, we've got a 25% tariff on top of that that Trump's put on, and the Chinese aren't going to put up with this crap. Uh, You know, they believe in saving face. We're shitting on them. They're shitting back because they're giving us sanctions equal equal in uh, dollar power. And it works to the detriment of both sides. They cannot survive without soybeans. They need it to feed their people. They have so many people in China. Not everyone lives well or close to well in China. Uh, So here is what Putin has done. He has offered China two and a half million acres. He's going to loan them. They can use it, not sell it to them. Two and a half million acres of arable land, okay, in Russia to meet what they know will be the large-scale demand for soybeans. Hmm. And China will probably accept this offer. This isn't going to help us, the United States. This isn't going to help Donald Trump. His friend is helping the enemy here, as I suggested earlier. Everyone understands, Putin, Trump, China, Russia, the United States, that a massive soybean shortage in China would lead to political and social upheaval. China can't handle it, and that's going to mean not only, it's going to mean a war. 
Because if you haven't got something, why did why did Japan go to war, war against us in World War Two? Roosevelt cut off their oil supply because he was unhappy with they, what they were doing in Manchuria. They said, screw you, we're going to get back our oil supply. They had no choice but to go to war. Cutting off their soybean supply is placing China in a position where it's going to have no choice. If something bad happens and they can't get enough soybeans, they will have to go to war. And who are they going to go to war with? Us, the United States. Okay? Not Russia. That's their friends. Their friends. That's the story there. What am I talking about now here? Oh, this is terrific. What I'm going to give you now is terrific. Remember this, my friends. What goes around comes around. What goes around comes around. And people who live in glass houses should not throw stones. People who live in glass houses should not throw stones. The lady's name is Asia Argento. Asia Argento is an Italian movie star. She has twice won the equivalent in Italy of our Oscar. Big woman in in the business. When Harvey Weinstein's situation came to light, and Me Too got a big start, she jumped on the bandwagon. She says, I think I was raped when I was seven years old. This is a terrible thing. And she was one of the front runners ferociously going after Harvey Weinstein with Me Too. She killed him. She slit his throat. And he wasn't the guy who raped her. But she believed in this. And this was her cause. Fine. The only trouble is she's a pedophile. It just came out. <laughs> Yesterday it came out. She's a pedophile. Here's the story. She had a seven. She, um, at the time this occurred, was 2013. Uh, the boy, boy is 17 years old. Uh, she's 37. The What happened happened in California at the Ritz-Carlton Hotel. Wow. At the Marina Del Rey in California. The age of consent in California is 18. You're under 18. You're a child. You can't have sex. And some of you are going to say, well, what the hell? He was 17 years old. He was a boy. Why not? Could they have sex? Why make a big deal out of it? Think of it this way. Approach the problem this way. Suppose Asia was a male. And Jimmy Bennett's his name. Jimmy was a girl. We'd be in up in arms if Asia as a man had had sex with a 17-year-old girl. So look at it properly. Well, he's been hurt by this. This thing he claims bothered him. I don't know. But he was 17 at the time. In the five years, he was a movie actor. He'd been in a couple of films with her as a kid. He also was a musician. In the five years prior to this incident, by the way, she gave him oral sex. And then they had intercourse in bed. It was only a one-time instance. There are also emails from her telling him, hurry up, I'm waiting for you, I can't. I love you, et cetera, et cetera. And afterwards, they took pictures. And one of the pictures are of the both of them in bed, bare ass, okay, smiling. <laughs> okay, so there's truth to it. Anyhow, since this occurrence, he, can't, he hasn't made money. He's made about $60,000 a year in the last five years. That's three hundred grand as opposed to $2.7 million he made the previous five years. He's hurting. He was going to go public with this. She, of course, doesn't want a public. This all happened in the past few months, by the way. So they both got lawyers, and she ended up paying him $380,000. Hush money, not to talk about this. She's now 42, and he's uh, 22. Okay, here's what happens now. It got out. 
It got out. The New York Times ran an article on it this morning. It got out. And the reason it got out, there are non-disclosure statements for these, this type of incident, sexual incident like this, are not legal in California. So either side was free to talk about it. And somehow Jimmy Bennett's side got out. And everyone's seen the documents. The New York Times has seen the documents, et cetera, et cetera. The woman's a pedophile. She had sex with a minor. That's the law, okay? Why do I say what goes around comes around? You never know. Look what happened to poor Harvey Weinstein. I don't agree with what he did. It was horrible, <laughs> All right? And he's getting his. She didn't get hers. But now she did. It cost her $380,000, and who knows what else, if anything. Alrighty. Where am I here? I'm going to talk Trump. Donald Trump tonight is in West Virginia uh, at a rally. I watched the rally before the show. He's, all, he's good at a rally, boy. He lies. He bullshits. They love him, though. Anyhow, I want to talk about coal pollution, one of the worst. Uh, it, pollute, it sells coal. Coal is needed uh, to run factories, but we came up with no more coal. We're not going to use coal, and we've had transition. We started an EPA. We wanted to do things the right way, and we stopped factories, et cetera, from using coal. We want clean air. We, we don't want to contribute to global warming, climate change, et cetera, et cetera. Trump said, I'm going to get rid of the EPA regulations on coal pollution. He did it last Friday, and we never heard about it. All he did was sign a piece of paper, and all the regulations are gone. And at the same time, he, he got rid of the last couple of weeks of Scott Pruitt, who was the, the worst person in the swamp, and he appointed a new administrator. The new acting administrator is Andrew Wheeler. You know what Andrew Wheeler did for a living before he became acting administrator of the EPA. He was a lobbyist for the coal industry. So, not good. Not a good scenario, but it's the way Donald Trump does business. That being the case, that's my show for tonight. Thank you for joining me. I love doing it. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm doing Key West Lou Live on Facebook every morning, three or four minutes of one topic similar to what I'm talking about tonight. I thank you for listening to me. My numbers get bigger every week. I love this. I have advertisers. And come back again next week and ask your friends to join you, too. Good night. Mm-hmm.